Our students have already warned me that if they are sleeping today during the sermon, it is not because it's a bad sermon. So what I heard them say is, this is going to be a great sermon. That, that's what I heard our students say today. If you have your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 13. We're going to be in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 10 specifically today as we get walking in and rolling into uh, this weekend. <clears throat> Last week, if you were here uh, with us, um, you got a taste of John chapter 14. And we really talked about understanding that God has called us to work while we're waiting uh, for the return of Jesus Christ and that we aren't to be sitting still, we're not to be out of the game or sitting on the sidelines. And what we're going to do today and next week is unpack chapter 13 and see how that sets all of that up, how all of that kind of comes into play and, and hits together so that we know what to do. Um, we often like the idea of doing something. I, mean, I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but we like to do something, to be useful in some way. At our house, sitting still and fidgeting um, is just not what we want to do with our life. And I, I know we just like to do something. But do you know what? Scripture doesn't call us just to do something. Uh, Jesus Christ never just calls you and I just to do something. In fact, I would tell you that Scripture points the opposite way that says, don't just do something, do what Christ calls you to do. Do what Christ has commanded you to do. And we can see a lot of those things in God's Word. Um, but quite honestly, we need to do more than just read and act. We need to listen and learn. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to direct us and to guide us so that while we serve the one who is, that we do, do so in a way that brings him the most glory. Um, I told you growing up, um, we were a big Christian t-shirt family and not like Christian t-shirts today. Y'all's shirts are actually cool. Ours were not always cool. Everyone, you know, had those shirts that are like get right or gonna get left. And you had the, the street sign pointing in different directions. You know, they were like neon pink. No one else wore them. I apologize. So when I was a kid, we were weird, and that's what we did. And, and the reality is, we just thought, we just can walk around. People will know that we go to church. People will know that we go to, we're Christians, and it'll be good. But here's what I learned growing up um, in church and, and in my walk with Christ. That just telling people that I was a Christian and doing something caused more people to stumble than if I would have been still and listened to what God has called me to do. I mean, how many times have you been disappointed by the Lord or been disappointed in your faith because you keep trying things for Jesus and it just isn't working out like you thought it should? It's just not working out like, like it ought to work out. And you start wondering, God, are you real? Jesus, are you real? We're just kind of let down. Our, our friends, they're aware that we're wrestling in our faith, that we're struggling with who God's made us to be. And the question really becomes, is, is this a problem with faith in Jesus because I'm trying to be busy for you, God? Or maybe is the problem that you and I need to be still and know that he is Lord, that we need to receive what he has for us and not just try to throw things against the wall until something sticks. Well, today what we're going to look at as we look at uh, John chapter 13 is we're going to look at a response and an example in Jesus Christ that is worth growing, going through slowly. 
It's not one that you and I just need to read and say, man, that story where Jesus washed the disciples' feet, that was awesome. He told us to go and do likewise. I'm going to do a lot for Jesus today. Let's slow down just a hair and listen and learn what God has for us. I want you to know listening is something that we ought to be fantastic at. I was looking up statistics on, on listening this week. We spend 70 to 80% of our waking day in communication, and half of that is spent listening, all right? Half of your day is spent listening. But the average American, which you aren't average, you're special. What your mom told you is correct. The average American can listen to someone talk to them for 10 minutes and immediately when that person is done talking, forget 50% of what they say. 50%. Now here's a little fact. I don't think it's an excuse. I just think it's a negative. Literally, they've done some studies and watched brain activity. Men, we use half of our brain to listen. Ladies, you use both lobes to listen. So it's not our fault. That's what I heard. <laughs> it's like, your wives are like, don't you dare use that. And we're just bad listeners. In fact, here's the catch with that. Throughout your day, 50% you'll lose at the beginning immediately, but you will listen to most people. You'll communicate almost all day long and you'll be listening to people. You're sitting in school, you're talking at work, you're going through things. At the end of your day, you will retain 17 to 25% of what you actually heard. 17 to 25%. If you're sitting by your child right now, look at him and say, I better be the 17%. Like, right? I mean, we, we know you can forget everything everybody else says, but remember what I have to say. We love to work out in the way that we have been trained to. Our culture, our life, our world, I, I actually think it's a product of the fall, has trained us to use our skill of listening and learning as little as possible so that we have just enough juice in the tank to go and do something. That's kind of how we're wired, right? I mean, how many times has your, guys, we're just, because we use half of our brain, so I'll pick on us. How many times has your wife been talking to you and before she's done, you're already starting to work on what she's called you to do and she has to correct you and she's mad at you now because you didn't finish listening because she didn't want you to do that right then. We, we love just getting just enough information so they can wind up this toy and spring into action. Church, I'm going to ask you to go against your training. I'm going to ask you to go against your culture today. I'm going to go ask you to go against what I believe the enemy has laid out for you in your life. I want you to work while you wait for the return of Christ because it's the will of God. But I want you to listen and to learn what God has for you. And that way you won't be disappointed by a faith where you just keep getting let down over and over and over again. It's God's will that you bear much fruit. It's God's will that you make contact with the ball every time. Stop swinging at the garbage. 
Listen to what scripture says. John chapter 13, verse 1 through 3. Jesus gathered his disciples together. This is most likely at the Last Supper, right before time has, has come for him to be arrested and thrown into prison and then crucified. Look at verse 1 through 3 in the Word. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God, and was going back to God. I just want you to pause right there. The sentence isn't done yet. But this is why I want you to listen. Because when I slow down, especially as I started writing down just my thoughts this week on on how Christ wants me to listen, this is going to be what happens next in verse 4 happens under this umbrella, under this context that Jesus knows. He knows that the enemy has entered into the heart of Judas. He knows his days are short. They're measured now in days and minutes, not months and years. He knows that his origin, his plan of leaving heaven to return to earth, he knows that has happened. He knows God has put him around these people. He, He knows all of these things, but he knows his time is short. And in the midst of this knowledge, it's not some general knowledge. It's very specific. Every moment feels a little different. Jesus knew every moment. We don't. Right now, you can think I'm fit as a fiddle, and today may be your last time to breathe. Others of you may have diagnosis that make you have an estimate of how much time you have left. But, But the reality is, when you and I know things are drawing near, what we do matters. We stop wasting time because we have plenty of it. Christine and I are about to enter into a, a, an interesting time in our life. It will be a time that defines us for many years to come. We're, we're about to move into empty nester syndrome, right? So that phase of life. And we have uh, no kids living with us at home full time. All right? We have 218 days left until Connor goes to college. Let me tell you why that matters. You know how many days I've sat in a chair and not wanted to throw ball with him in the front yard because I was worn out? I have 218 days left to have that opportunity. Do you have any dinners? We sit down, our family sits down at the house almost every day for dinner. I only have 218 possible days left. Only have 218 more days to talk with him in the morning about what God has shown him in his word. I only have 218 days left to plan a special outing here or there. With Ashley, I have 483 days until she graduates college. I only have 483 days knowing that that she is still under this household banner before she starts a journey on her own. 483 days doesn't sound like a lot, 
when years and years have passed. And so I'll tell you what, I don't share those days lightly. I can't tell you how many things I push through because I know that number, that that's the most time I have left with them. So we, just, we make decisions differently now than we did when they were 10, when they were 14. And here's what I know because I'm made in the image of God that Jesus knew he didn't have 218 days. He didn't have 483 days. He had less than four. And so everything that he does, we need to know he didn't waste this moment. It was so meaningful. It was so powerful that we need to pay close attention to what he does. Verse 4 and verse 5, John chapter 13. The Bible says it this way. Jesus, I'll put that word in there, rose from supper. He laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist and he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. This is what Jesus did. This is where Jesus kind of poured into that. A lot of times you'll, you'll hear us talk about our vision as a church. We may even have a slide of it up here. We talk about our vision of the church. In, in our church, we desire to be a people, a community of faith that glorifies God by embracing his word, impacting our circles and empowering others to make disciples. And as we do that, all we're saying is we wanna be like Jesus. We, we want to copy him. We want to copy him as he tells us to. We want to imitate his life and his lane because every moment matters. Every word is meaningful. And so here when Jesus says, I'm going to rise up from the table, take off my outer garments and put on this towel and pour a bowl of water to start washing my disciples' feet, then we need to say, God, how can I learn? How can I listen? How can I embrace this, God, so that I can be more like you to impact those around me and empower people to become disciple makers? How do I do that? I'm going to tell you, it's going to be the antithesis of everything that we're trained to do. And yet the beauty of it is, it's the same person Jesus has been since the day he came to earth. And in every example of his life falls into this role. So listen with me as we get to this beauty that Jesus is the same. It says, first of all, in verse four, he rose from supper. I, I don't know if you can imagine the picture here. I'm not gonna lay down like the disciples would, but most likely if you could imagine a big pillow right here on the floor, they would have leaned down like on one elbow and been eating with their feet sticking out because everybody's feet stank, right? It's like junior high boy recess, you know what I'm saying? Like they were not clean. They wore sandals, open toes, rain, muck, animal. You follow me? It was, it was gross. And so you just put that as far away from the food and the smelling that you could put them away from. Normally a servant would come and wash your feet. The servant would normally not be a Jew and normally not be a man. 
In other words, it would just be a slave, most likely a woman, to show that this was the lowest slave in the house. This was the person who drew the short stick in life, not just for a moment. So here they are laying around. There's no one to wash their feet. And Jesus rose. Here's what I want you to know and listen for it. Jesus was the reason for the feast. Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was their leader. He was their rabbi. And he left his place of comfort to do the will of God. He left his place of comfort. Luke chapter 22 says it this way. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table, but I among, am among you as one who serves? What I want you to know is God is calling you and I to leave our places of comfort leaving our places of being entertained and engaged, our, our places of just being apart and going along with things and missing out on what's coming in front of us. And, and I want you to be very clear. That doesn't mean God's calling you to abandon who you are. Let me just start here and, and right there. God made you. Psalm 139 says, you are fearfully and wonderfully what made. The word fearfully means awesome. It means that God made you awesome. I don't care what you think when you look in the mirror. I don't care what the world tells you. I don't care how many things the world says you can do to make yourself better, different, or who you're really supposed to be. It's all garbage. Because when God designed you, he designed you awesome. And what sin does is all it does is attack that design. And so when God calls you and he's made you a specific way, he's not calling you to not be you and to be someone else. He's calling you to follow him for who you are. If God made you an engineer, he's calling you to follow him like an engineer would follow him. If he made you a kind, touchy-feely, you know, kind of a, an emotional, creative, so be it. Follow him like that. If God made you enjoy structure, if God, if God designed you a certain way, if you're the athlete, if you're the band person, if you're the teacher or the CEO, if you're the male person or the street cleaner, none of those things define who you are. You just be you but leave your place of comfort to serve him don't give up who you are here's the things that I thought what does it look like to rise up when Jesus rose up from his table everyone would have taken notice because the teacher is not supposed to do anything that isn't a lesson that isn't great. He's supposed to relax, recline, and enjoy it. But he got up because what he was being called to was more important than what he was engaging in in that moment because he knew his time was short. For you and I, what does that look like? It means following his call. 
You see, when Jesus says, follow me, he's giving a directive. He's not asking you, I hope you have time to follow me this week. He's saying, if you're mine, follow me, leave your comfort and come after me. If you're mine, rise up, leave it behind. Matthew, leave the tax booth, come after me. James, John, Peter, leave your boats, come after me. He didn't ask them to take on new identities. He didn't ask them to shave and clean up and buy new sandals. That's not what he said. He just said, I want you to rise up and follow me. This is one thing, church, when you and I just start acting for Jesus and trying everything that we can, we're not following him. Because Jesus isn't in all of these places trying to help you figure out which one is the real Jesus. He's calling you and I to rise up and to follow hard after him. I love the picture of the seed in Jesus' examples. How many times Jesus talks about the seed and bearing fruit. If you are a seed, Christ is saying, don't just hold it there and let it dry rot. Pick it up follow me and plant it where I call you and see what's going to happen church this morning right here and right now what I just want you to hear is God it, it's not he might be calling you to get up and leave your place of comfort behind he, he is telling you your place of comfort is in my footsteps it's not in anything or anyone else Jesus rose up and then it says he took off of his garments, his outer garments. There were multiple layers happening here. And garments is plural for a reason. He was their rabbi. It would have been easy to see. When he took off his garments, what he was really doing is he was laying aside his privilege. He was really saying, I'm about to clothe myself in something else, but right now I'm going to lay my privilege aside. I mean, think about it. Jesus didn't have to lay his privilege aside. Jesus, when he came as a baby, he had to lay some things aside. The one who created the word became the word in flesh and learned how to speak. He had to lay something aside. When Satan tempted Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, what happens? He has to lay aside. The enemy says, if you're hungry, just make yourself food. If you want the kingdoms of the world, that's what you're here for. I'll give them to you. Worship me. If you want to prove the word true, then pass my test. And each time Jesus says, I want you to understand, it's not that I can't do those things. That's just not the will of my Father. And so he combats the enemy with the word. So for you and I in our life, I want you to know we follow a king that could have come differently. We follow a king that could have engaged with people differently. We follow a king that in his lordship was also our example. The thief on the cross said to Jesus, if you are the Messiah, then take yourself off this thing and us too. I mean, Jesus in that moment, if the Lord's will would have been done, could have been glorified and floated off of that cross and spooked everybody. But that wasn't God's will, and therefore it wouldn't have accomplished God's will. Jesus laid aside his privilege. Philippians, Paul writes it this way. 
He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Listen, our Messiah left his place of comfort and laid aside his privilege to do the will of the Father. In our culture, I'm telling you, this is a non-starter. Everything that speaks to you on TV, most relationships that we'll have, will tell you that this is the one thing you can't lay aside, your privilege. And if someone tries to take your privilege, Pastor Scott called it rights a few weeks ago, then you should fight for it with everything you had because that is yours. And Jesus says, let me show you what I think of privilege. It is subservient to the will of my Father. Church, in this moment, for who you are, listen. If you are going to follow Christ, if you are going to bear much fruit, if you are going to see him as worthy as he is, are you willing to lay everything down at the cross of Christ and take a step back? That's what Jesus did with his last moment. But he didn't just stop there. The Bible says in that moment, verse 5, verse 4 and 5, he took a towel, tied it around his race, waist, and he poured water into the basin and began washing the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He left his place of comfort. He put aside his privilege and he humbled himself as a servant. He was doing the Lord's will in this humility. I'm telling you, what we'll read in Peter's reaction isn't some fun interaction. When Jesus laid aside his privilege and he picks up this towel next to the water basin, everyone would have known. I can't imagine what it was like for the disciples when Jesus started washing their feet. I don't have to imagine with Peter because it's clear. But that's how far Jesus was willing. He was willing to shamefully lower his posture. Basically, this was an, an intentional dishonoring to say, listen, there's nothing that God, my God calls me to do that is beneath me. There's not a single thing. There's not some low-grade task in serving Jesus or serving the Father. There's no anything where it's unimportant. If God calls me to be the doorman, if God calls me to be the parking lot cleaner, if God calls me to never reach anyone but one person, I am not less than the person who's out front talking to a million people. God is saying, listen, watch my son. He intentionally became the lowest he could be. Do you want to change the world? In last week, chapter 14, greater things than this you will do. Greater, megas, loud, surprising. 
right out there in front important you want the Lord to work through you it's not about how awesome you are in fact I would tell you that's directly against the word of God or let me say that differently it's not how awesome you can be or make people think you are that's against the word you are fearfully and wonderfully made and the way that that seed is shown is saying God just like Jesus humbled himself I will humble myself and in James we get the promise that if we humble ourselves before the Lord he will lift us up do you want to follow the one who is worthy there is only bounty before you this is the joy if, if you want to lay it all down for Jesus Christ, if you want your whole life to be on the line, then I am telling you there is only his bounty, not the world's bounty, but his bounty in front of you. But don't try to humble yourself and hold on to your position. Don't try to humble yourself and still protect your comfort. Don't try to have one hand in the privileges that you have earned and believe that you can have one hand in the soil of fertile fruit of the king of kings because God doesn't need me and you he invites us in what that means is he doesn't need to settle for some of you all of you most of you he just said I want you in his last moments hours before he would never be alone with the disciples again he rose up put aside his garments and he humbled himself to wash the feet of the disciples because he was serving his father by showing us how to live it's a hard pill to swallow it's simple, but it takes surrender. Listen to what happens. Peter's interchange with Jesus is really good. The picture looks like this. Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. I can imagine they're looking at each other, not knowing what to do. Peter decides he can stand up and he can speak. And so we have this interaction, verse 6. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Now, I want you to know, this wasn't Simon Peter saying, Jesus, what are you doing? Most likely, Peter's disgusted. This is, you're my rabbi. I have abandoned everything for you. You are the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I have told you so. What are you doing? And Jesus' response, verse 7, what I am doing, you don't understand now. But afterwards, you will. Jesus says, I get it. You aren't all knowing. You don't know what I know. You don't have a relationship with the Father that I do. You don't really fully grasp me, and that's all right. You don't know, but you'll get it. I, I hear you, but you're just dead wrong in your pride. 
You're just dead wrong in your critique. You're just dead wrong in your privilege. But you'll understand eventually. <laughs> Peter comes back to him in this moment in verse 8. And he says, you will never wash my feet. Just in case you didn't understand the first time, I may not understand what's going on, but I know how church works. I know how faith is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be embarrassing. It's not supposed to be hard. It's not supposed to infringe on what I think ought to be. So you might wash their feet, but you won't wash my feet. And Jesus in that moment, I don't think he like takes Peter's hand and holds it very tenderly. I think he says very sternly, then you will have no part of me. If you want me to be your Lord on your terms, you're out. Ah, the world says, but I have a life. And Lord, you're, you're infringing upon it. You, you're calling me after you. You're calling me to serve. It's messing up my comfort and it's messing up my privilege. Jesus says that's exactly right because you know that the vine that's supposed to be producing fruit in your life is weak and you're pretending it's not so listen to me if it's on your terms verse 8 if I do not wash your feet then you have no share with me In scripture, we see sentence to sentence to sentence. If the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, if you've just stared him down and said, I will not let you do for your glory, your will in my life. And he says, no worries. If I don't do that, you're out. I don't think that there was air left in the room. I don't, I don't think there was anything I can't imagine Peter's heart must be bursting. And so I don't think there's this joyful glee in this next sentence. I think it's fear. I think it's pride. Peter says to him, verse 9, Lord, then not only my feet, but my hands and my head too. Don't leave me out. I'm more committed than anybody else. So if you're going to be the servant, then I'll let you serve me greater than anyone else around. <laughs> In this moment, I can imagine the smile of Jesus. <laughs> it's like, Peter, I didn't say I was your slave. It's almost like, should I repeat what I said in the beginning? You don't understand. You don't get it. Verse 8. Verse, excuse me, verse 10. Jesus said, The one who is bathed doesn't need to wash except his feet, but he's completely clean. And you're clean, but not every one of you. I just can imagine Jesus saying, Listen, Peter, I'm showing you something. <laughs> 
I'm giving you an example. I'm teaching you something. Stop reacting. Stop acting. Stop thinking of what you're going to say while I'm talking. Listen to me. And learn what I have planned for you. It is good. How many things rush through your mind when you hear the words to Jesus? I have come that you might have what you don't have, life to the fullest. I have come that you might have what you don't have, eternal life. I have had what you don't have, a joy that is complete. I have come that you might have what you don't have a way to a relationship with the King of Kings. Church, when we find ourselves in front of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords in prayer, in His Word, I'm telling you, slow down and listen and learn what He is saying to you. I can't tell you many times in my life where I've just been reading the Bible and it's good. I can't tell you how many times I've studied the word and just tried to tear it apart to figure it out and it's good. But let me tell you where I would start if I were you. Just invite the Lord before you read a word to show you what he is trying to say. Excuse me. To show you what he has clearly said and you are trying to hear. And then read a little. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. Just read a little and say, God, I don't understand. And hear him say, I know you don't understand it all now, but you will. Listen. Listen watch, observe. I mean, this morning, some of you have kind of been walking through life like, like I have in my life and been tempted to and others have. You got the treat Christian t-shirt, t-shirt that says, I'm with him and the arrow's facing up. But your life lacks listening and learning from the king and it just looks like someone trying to figure out this guessing game that God has for them. You can rest your arm. Maybe you haven't been able to leave your place of comfort to stand up and follow the Lord. And today it starts. Maybe this is the first time you've ever thought about laying aside your privilege as an act of worship. But, but let me tell you, church, if you are a child of the king, then you have no privilege that is not given from the king. And so to say, king, I will lay aside everything you give me for you, that's serving. Anything we value more than following after him? Yes, idolatry. So today, maybe it's laying that aside. Maybe, maybe you're living life there, and today, <laughs> you have a lot in common with Peter. 
I don't understand. But I know if I follow hard after you, I will. So today the invitation is to persevere. But if you find yourself in this room and today is the first time you've listened to Jesus, you've never known him as your Lord and Savior, then you need to be washed clean. And what scripture says is that through the actions and the testimony of the Son of God, that you can be made new, that you can be washed clean and enter into a relationship with him. It begins with admitting you have dirty feet, that you have sinned against the Lord. then it extends to an invitation. Lord, would you wash me and make me clean? Because I believe you're able. And it ends with submission. Lord, I want to plant my life in your hands. So whatever you say, whatever you do, I'm in. Because you're my king. And that is where a dry rotting seed begins to bear much fruit. Would you pray with me? Lord, we love you. We thank you this morning for your grace and your goodness. We thank you for your love and the life that you gave us. Lord, we, we want to work while we're waiting for you, but we don't want to waste our work. So help us to understand what we want without you. And help us hold on to nothing in our life except for you. Lord, you knew how many days and you chose once again to say, follow me, but listen. So Lord, I pray that today, whether it's our day to draw our last breath or we have weeks and months and years to come, let us know the joy of following you in your footsteps, not lost, not wandering, not wondering, but knowing you. We pray this in Jesus' name.